All right. Praise the Lord. So good. Thanks, man. So good to be together, loved ones. Let's open up our Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 17. 1 Kings chapter 17, and today we are in verses 17 to 24. 1 Kings 17, verses 17 to 24. Well, welcome back, loved ones. Oh, if you do not have a copy of God's Word, I love our ushers. They just read the play. If you do not have a copy of God's Word, put your hand up right now. Our ushers are coming forward. They want to put one in your lap, okay? So you can follow along. Put your hand up. They want to give you one. And if you do not have a copy of God's Word at home, please take that as a free gift from us to you to encourage you to continue to study God's Word and abide with Him at home. 1 Kings 17, 17 to 24. Here we go. Welcome back. Eyes up here. Everyone say, welcome back. Welcome back, back, loved ones, to our series on Elijah. The school of faith is in session. Elijah, God's presence, power, and provision in the life of faith. Now, what's faith? We got to get on the same page. What's faith? And so we've been unpacking this definition since the start of our series. As I said, we see it taken from Hebrews 11 and Romans 4 and 2 Corinthians 5 and Hebrews 11, 6. And here's what it is. Practical street-level definition. Write it down. Let's get it in our hearts. Faith. Choosing to believe God's word. Notice that. Faith is a spirit-empowered choice. You and I have a choice every day to believe or not believe in the Lord and in his word. Every day. It's the battle for unbelief, greatest battle in the world. Choosing to believe God's word and obeying it in his power. Choosing to believe that in all times and in all things, God's word is sufficient. God's word is the lamp to your feet and light to your path. That God's word is the only safe path through the darkness of this world. It is choosing to believe its inerrancy. It is choosing to believe its sufficiency. It is choosing to believe that it is wisdom for life and godliness. At all times and all things. You think I'm fired up to preach about God's word? Uh-huh, come on. <laughs> Let's get hungry, loved ones. Here we go. Choosing to believe God's word, and then from that, it's not just saying, yeah, I totally think it's true, but then obeying it in his power, because we cannot do it on our own. Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. And so it's calling on the Lord to say, Lord, help me believe and give me strength to live this out. Why? Because God will be glorified, notice on the screen, and he promises his best outcome for me. It's a win-win. God will be glorified, and he promises his best outcome for me. Choosing to believe God's word and obeying his power, no matter what the situation looks like from your perspective. No matter how you're feeling. Remember, feelings are great followers, but they're horrible, horrible leaders. Great followers, horrible leaders. And so the first message of this series, we looked at the conviction that faith is. We're going to get this blueprint of the life of faith. The conviction of faith says God will keep his word at all times in all things. And then we moved to message two where we looked at the path of faith. The path of faith, don't fear it. Don't fear it. Even when it goes to Zarephath, even when it goes to the smelting place, the place of testing, the place of refining, don't fear it. Don't fear it. And now today, 
Today we look at the response in the life of faith to every situation it faces. The response of faith. How do you know? Someone's responding in faith in the situations they face, expected ones or unexpected ones. And it says this, at all times and all things, I will call out to God. I will call on the Lord. Because here's the truth we need to understand. And I think you'll identify with this very quickly. Um, The unexpected will come. The unexpected will come. Hey, hey, did anyone, here, a little sample. You know what I mean? Did anyone expect the last three years to happen? Anyone, just put your hand up if you expected that. Exactly. The unexpected will come. Did anyone expect the um, housing market to go from like 180, you know, miles an hour to like zero in a month? Did anyone expect that? Did anyone expect the economy to drop as it has? Did anyone expect it? The unexpected will come when you get that call from the doctor, you go in for the visit, and you get the diagnosis. The unexpected will come when the job is lost. When the comfort gets taken away. The unexpected will come when the betrayal happens with someone that you love. Do you expect that? But I trusted them. We were so close. The unexpected will come with the death of a loved one. The unexpected will come when the grief and sorrow is really deep. There's dark clouds in that season. The unexpected comes when the confusion hits. What does this mean? Why is this happening? Here's the truth we need to understand. Loved ones, we need to expect the unexpected and stand firm in our faith in the Lord. I'll say it again. Expect the unexpected, but stand firm in your faith in the Lord. Expect the unexpected. And if we are to stand firm in faith, here's the big idea. If I could sum up this whole section of text, it points right to this idea. Every verse, every word says this. To stand firm in faith, write it down, you must cry out to God alone. When that unexpected hits, if you're going to stand firm in faith, you and I need to call out to God alone. Let me ask you a question. Who are you calling out to? Who or what are you calling out to? You're calling out to the stock market? You're calling out to your own abilities? I just got to control things and I got to work harder and I got to do this. You're calling out to other people? Well, if they would just do this, I'm so dependent on them. No, you're ultimately dependent on the Lord. Who are you calling out to? I'm calling out to to alcohol. I'm calling out to my addiction. I'm calling out to the food cupboard that I need to fill myself with to numb myself so I don't feel this anxiety. I'm calling out to my anger. I'm calling out to my impatience. Who are you calling out to when that unexpected hits? See, I think this highlights the problem. Hey, loved ones, highlights the problem you and I face every day, and it's this. Instead of responding in faith when the unexpected hits, 
and crying out to God by turning to Him, humbling ourselves and trusting in Him. Here it is. We respond in unbelief by calling out to other people, things, methods, ourselves, our abilities that we think will deliver us. But hey, newsflash, they never will. They're dead idols. And here in our text today, ready for some hope? Let's go. Let's go. Bible's open, pens out, journals ready. Three essential steps we must take when the unexpected hits. If we are to respond in faith and call on the Lord and see his power, look at what's at stake. See his power, know his presence, and see him work as only he can for his glory and our good. There's so much at stake right here in our response. You ready to go? 1 Kings 17, verses 17 to 24. Let's stand to honor the authority of God's word. We will read this together. 1 Kings 17, starting at verse 17. Let's go. Elijah raises the widow's son. After this, the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, became ill. And his illness was so severe that there was no breath left in him. And she said to Elijah, Why have you sinned against me, O man of God? You have come to me to bring my sin to remembrance and to cause the death of my son. And he said to her, Give me your son. And he took him from her arms and carried him up into the upper chamber where he lodged and laid him on his own bed. And he cried to the Lord, O Lord my God, have you brought calamity even upon the widow with whom I sojourn by killing her son? Then he stretched himself upon the child three times and cried to the Lord, O Lord my God, let this child's life come into him again. And the Lord listened to the voice of Elijah. And the life of the child came into him again, and he revived. And Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper chamber into the house and delivered him to his mother. And Elijah said, See, your son lives. And the woman said to Elijah, Now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is true. Awesome. Who's like our God, huh? Come on. Hear the word of the Lord and all God's people said... Amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. First thing we see right here, loved ones, faith's response is to cry out to God. Faith's response is to cry out to God. You must, first thing we see, turn to him and get vertical. Turn to him and get vertical. See, here's the truth we're unpacking in this point. When you respond in faith, you will turn to God. Loved one, right here. Who or what are you turning to? Who or what are you turning to? Let's get our context. Here we are, 871 B.C., 9th century B.C., and we're at a widow's house in Zarephath. Remember where Zarephath is from last week? You'll see it on the screen. There it is, up on the Phoenician coast above northern Israel. And the school of faith For Elijah, this widow and her son is very much in session. Recall what's going on. Israel and the surrounding areas, including Zarephath, you see there, are still in the midst of a devastating drought. It's been three years at this point. Three years. There's been almost, there has been no dew even 
Bible says. No dew and not even a drop of rain for almost three and a half years at this point. Why? This was a consequence given by God for Israel's sin of idolatry and worship of false God. He's fulfilling his word. He said he would do that in Deuteronomy 11. If you turn your back on me, you worship false gods, I'm going to bring a famine. I'm going to bring a drought to bring you back to me. And here, the people of Israel, it's, as you recall, Israel's a cesspool right now of paganism, of uh, idolatrous worship, and that is polytheistic. It's no more worship. It's not any longer worshiping the one true God of Yahweh alone. Now it's like, okay, maybe we'll get Yahweh, but we're going to have Baal, and we're going to have Asherah, and we're going to worship Mot, and we're going to worship a whole bunch of other false gods. It's polytheistic. And it's thick, and the worship of Yahweh is getting pushed out the side. And so God, remember, told Elijah to go to Zarephath from the Kareth Brook and to stay with this widow and her son who were worshipers of false gods, we saw last week. And when he gets to Zarephath, he sees her prepping her last meal before she dies. She's got no food. Three years, three and a half years almost. In a drought, you have no food either, right? And yet, as we saw in verses 8 to 16, by obeying God's word through Elijah, God miraculously provides for this widow and for her son by ensuring that the little jar of oil she had and the little jar of flour that was left never ran out, and they'd have enough for each day until the rain came. Awesome. See, now here's what we got to realize. This is why... Context is key. Say it with me. Context is key. You have to read the Bible in context or you miss it, loved ones. Context is so important because up to now, you say, why does this section even matter? Like, why does God do that? Here's why. Because up to now, things are going according to plan. Don't we like it when things go according to plan? Don't we like it? Anyone? Maybe just me, huh? It's like, yeah, things are going quite according to plan. God speaks right? How many times? God speaks. You just go back to the first verse of chapter 17, and you'll see that. And he tells in advance what would happen. Here. Here's what's going to happen, Elijah. Here's what's going to happen, widow, if you obey my word. Remember the examples? Hey, Elijah, go to the Kareth Brook. I've commanded the ravens to feed you. You can expect some delivery service. Hey, Elijah, go on up to Zarephath. You're going to meet a widow there. Hey, widow, If you serve me, give the first portion to God, your flour and oil won't run dry. See, God speaks. He tells what's going to happen. They obey. They obey. God delivers. Nice and tidy, huh? Man, we love it nice and tidy. Elijah and the widow and her son, they have seen the loving hand of God and are resting in his goodness and provision. They're in their comfort zone. That widow knows She's going to go to her cupboard the next morning, opening up the flower's going to be there. The oil's going to be there, nice and tidy, just according to plan, routine. Oh, I'm going to get up, make some bread again. I'm going to get up, make some bread again. I'm going to get up, make some bread again. They're in the comfort zone. They're in their routine. And now, uh-oh, verse 17 hits. Uh, things take an unexpected turn. An unexpected turn. God works in an unexpected way. He doesn't give a heads up about this one. He works in an unexpected way and he sends the disruption. He sends the jolt 
Look at 17 to 20. Go back to the text. It says this. After this, so after that, that oil and that flour has been coming day after day. So after this, the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, became ill. And his illness was so severe, there was no breath left in him. Wait a second. Where was the thus says the Lord before that? I didn't get any prepping for this. I didn't expect it. It doesn't go like how God's worked in the past. He did that before. Why didn't he do that again? He sends the disruption. God sends disruptions for a reason. Look at this. Verse 18. And she, in response, says to Elijah, can you just hear the grief in her voice? What have you against me, O man of God? You have come to me to bring my... Notice the exclamation mark. You've come to me to bring my sin to remembrance and to cause the death of my son. Can you hear the agony? You caused the death of my son. And Elijah says to her this. He said to her, give me your son. And he took him from her arms and carried him up into the upper chamber where he lodged and laid him on his own bed. And he cried out to the Lord. Oh Lord my God, have you brought calamity even upon the widow with whom I sojourn by killing her son? See, after a period of time, the son of the widow, the word mistress there in verse 17 just means owner of the house. The son dies unexpectedly. And notice the widow's response in verse 18. Go back to the text, verse 18. Widow's response. See, instead of turning vertically to God, where does she go? In her sorrow, in her grief, in her anger, as it turns out, the guilt that she's feeling, where does she turn? She turns horizontally. She doesn't turn vertically. Who does she turn to? She turns horizontally to Elijah. And what's the result of the horizontal turn? She blames him. Blame game. And you can say, yeah, but she just lost her son. I get that. There's sorrow. I've lost a child. I know the pain. She turns to Elijah and blames him for her son's death and thinks that God is trying to punish her. Notice this. You've come to me, verse 18. You've come to me to bring my son to remembrance and to cause the death of him. You did this, Elijah. Let's get some clarity. What does she mean by that? In the Old Testament, it was believed that death and sickness was a punishment for hidden sin that was brought to light. That's why she says it. It was a punishment for hidden sin. Now just, just live in the text. Put yourself in the widow's shoes here. She says in verse 19, can you hear the tears? Can you hear the sorrow? Put yourself, you've just lost your child. She looks at Elijah, she turns horizontally, looks at him and says, what have you against me? Who am I to you? I'm just a broke widow with nothing. Who am I to you that you would come here? I didn't search you out. 
You came to me. What did I do to you? That you would come and recall and bring to light my past sins and as a punishment for them, cause the death of my son. Do you just hear the doubt? You ever been in a situation where you're like, why would God fill my cupboard only to empty my soul? What's the point? Why would, why would God fill my cupboard just to take my son's life? I'd rather go without food, wouldn't you? Why, Lord? You ever asked that? Why is this happening? Why? Why the pain? What's the purpose? Notice Elijah's response. He's got a finger pointed at him. You've caused the death of my son. Anger. Notice Elijah's response, verses 19 to 20. What does he do? Does he get horizontal? No, he gets vertical. He gets vertical. Faith's response right there. He calls out to the Lord. He doesn't lash out back at her. Notice this. He doesn't get defensive and say, hey, hey, hey. Well, if you had just done things better and worshiped the true God, none of this might have happened. He doesn't say that. He doesn't point the finger back. He doesn't make the accusation. How many marriages would be so different right now if that were implemented? Instead of lashing out and crying out and throwing your anger on your spouse, you went to the Lord. You took their hand and went to the Lord. He goes vertical. He doesn't lash out back at her. He doesn't get defensive. Notice this. He, he doesn't turn from God. How often in our trials and in the unexpected do we turn from God and start pursuing other things to try to deliver us? He doesn't turn from God. He turns to him. He didn't turn from God in anger because God didn't work how Elijah expected or wanted him to that day because God didn't give him the heads up that was coming. He doesn't try, notice, Elijah doesn't try to have all the answers or offer an explanation why it happened. Do you see his shepherding heart right there? He doesn't try to offer the explanation or give an answer. Here's why it must have happened. Hey, would you? Don't, don't so often, when people are in pain and they're going through the trial, the hard time, we so often want to have the answer. I just have to say the right thing. It's up to me. Well, if you would do this or this. Notice what Elijah does. He doesn't try to have the right answers. And he's the prophet of God. You know, loved ones, I have had the privilege, and I mean that in every way, to sit with many of you across from you in my living room, to weep with you, and to listen. And after almost 13 years now of pastoral ministry, I can say this. Sometimes, sometimes all you can do is listen and take that person's distress to the Lord. Because there's not an answer. And so Elijah's not trying to do a disservice to God here. To try to like bump her faith up. He's not doing that. He doesn't understand what God's doing or the purpose behind it. You ever been there? God, what are you doing? Why is this happening? 
He doesn't try in his own abilities to fix the situation. Okay, so here's what you got to do. You just got to go to the doctor at Zarephat and do a little resuscitation and hopefully that, that response. He doesn't go into planning mode. He goes into praying mode. What do you do? Recall this. Here's something so encouraging. Elijah, he's just an ordinary man. James chapter 5. Nature like ours. He's an ordinary man like us, and instead, what does he do? He goes to the only one who can do absolutely anything about this devastating situation. Verses 19 and 20, he asks for her son. Here's the widow carrying her little boy in her arms. He's not going to try to explain it away. He doesn't have an answer. He says, just give me your son. Give me your son. He takes him upstairs to the upper room where he was staying. You'll see the upper room right here. Now, this isn't going to be that widow's house because it's way too wealthy for that, but you can see how this is how houses were designed. And the upper room was the place where the guest of honor would stay. Okay? So he takes that child up the stairs to the upper room, widow weeping and grieving in the corner. He lays this child on his bed and he turns to the Lord and notice it says, he cries out to him in humility and fervency and desperation, casting, not blaming this woman, not casting his anger on her, but casting his anxiety, grief and confusion upon the Lord. And he asks the Lord right in this statement, what are you doing, God? I don't understand. Why are you allowing this? He gets vertical. Why? Because he recognizes by faith that only God has the power to do anything about it. Now write this down. Here's what we see. I love this. Elijah, just an ordinary man in the hands of an extraordinary God. Watch this. He says this. You'll see it on the screen. Living by faith doesn't mean you have all the answers. Can we just stop it right there? Living by faith. Oh, if I have a big champion of faith, I'll know exactly what God's doing all the time. Living by faith doesn't mean you'll have all the answers. But it means turning to the throne of grace of the one who does. There's the response of faith. It means turning to the throne of grace of the one who does, knowing that even in the unexpected, even in the sorrow, even in the grief, knowing this, why do we turn to him? Because we know he's still good. He's still good. He's still trustworthy. God knows what he's doing. And he's only working out of his love for you and me. And if you're saved, here's his promise from Romans 8. He will work and use it all for your good and for his glory. It's hard to get there though in the moment, isn't it? See, when you respond in faith, you will turn to God. So question, who or what are you turning to? We saw two responses, didn't we, in those first four verses? Two responses to the unexpected. Elijah and the widows. The widows, she turns to man, and cast the blame on Elijah. We're good at that, aren't we? This world is really good at that. As soon as there's a problem, who's to blame? Pick a side. Who's to blame? Lash out on them. She points the finger. She gets defensive. That's what the world does. But notice Elijah. 
turns to God. He remembers who God is. Notice in verse 20, he says, my Lord, that is Yahweh, capital L-O-R-D, Yahweh, the one who absolutely is love and truth and peace and grace and wisdom. He recognizes who God is in that moment and he casts his anger, anxiety, confusion, distress upon him. Hey, which response are you giving in the situations you're facing right now? Widow's response, horizontal. Elijah's response, vertical. Can we be done with blaming others, please? Pointing fingers, getting angry, lashing out, getting defensive. Hey, what, what, which are you in your response in your marriage with your spouse? How about this, in your parenting? As you parent, the children God has entrusted to you. Are you lashing out on them when they don't obey so often? And I fall into this too. So often we want to parent kids that don't need parenting, eh? Are we crying out to the Lord for that prodigal child? Are we crying out to the Lord? Are we getting angry and blaming that person, that person, that person for where they're at? How about in our health situation? There's been a lot of health crises over the last three years, especially. I was on the phone with someone I love this weekend. He's being devastated by cancer. Who are you calling out to in that moment? Are we getting angry? Or are we getting to the throne of grace? in that trial, in that family situation? Where do we need to repent of turning horizontally to man and pointing the finger, looking for man's solutions instead of getting vertical and turning to the Lord for yourself? Or notice the text, on behalf of another. Hey, question. There's so many people in this church right now. I just, I just want you to take a look around. Like, who do you know right now in this church that you know is hurting? And that you need to heed the word of the Lord right now, as do I. And come alongside them and take that burden with them. And take it to the Lord like Elijah does of this woman. Not saying, well, okay, go with God. See you later. No. Taking it, being present, and going to the Lord on their behalf and crying out to him. You know, here's a challenge. I know we like to hang out after church. Praise the Lord. But here's the challenge. Instead of that using that time just to socialize, get to the throne of grace with one another. How can I pray for you? There's people hurting all over this room. And I've only spoken to three of you today. Go to the throne of grace. That's the church. That's the church being the church. Is this not what Jesus has done for us, taking on our sin? Is it not what he's done for us, taking on our burden? And he says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light now. And if you don't know, just ask, how can I pray for you? See, because here's the thing we need to understand. See it on the screen. Turning vertically is the first step to standing faithfully. And what you put first always orders the rest. Turning vertically is the first step to standing faithfully in the unexpected. To stand firm in faith, you must cry out to God alone, turning to him, getting vertical. And as you turn to him, secondly, we see this from the text, you must depend on him and get low. 
We get vertical, and now we get low. We get low. It's not just, great, I'm going to turn to God, throw up a Hail Mary prayer, and then turn to myself again and go do my own thing. Nope. It's turning to the Lord and then getting low in dependence upon him. See, when you respond in faith, you humble yourself before God. Question, will you? For his timing, his way, and his provision. Look at verse 21. Go back to the text. This is beautiful. 21. Then he, that is Elijah, stretched himself upon the child three times and cried to the Lord. Hear the the anguish in his voice, bearing the burden with this lady. O Lord my God, let this child's life come in to him again. See, Elijah then stretches himself. That means he lays on this child three times. Now, we don't know exactly why it's three, but look at the picture. It's Elijah humbling himself. He sees this boy, and he gets down, and he gets low, and he stretches himself out. The picture is of Elijah laying his life down for this young man, breathless, on that bed. He's getting low, laying down his life in an act of dependence on the Lord. He's humbling himself, saying, I've got nothing, God. And he cries out to God again with fervency and desperation. Notice, as he's, as he's down with his child, he's not like, hey God, if you think you could, you know, do some work here. He's crying out in fervency. God always draws near to the desperate. God can't resist the humble heart. He's just like, yes, there it is. There it is. You're done with your way. And you're seeking me for mine. And here's Elijah on the floor with this young life. No other options. Not trying CPR on the kid. He's saying, Lord, I need you. Have mercy. Now I want you to notice something important here from this verse 21. Notice this. Elijah humbles himself under who God says he is. And he prays in accordance with God's word. That's super important to notice that. Notice what he says. He says, he's not throwing up selfish requests to God, like do this for me because I want, no, God speaks very clearly about that in the book of James. But look at 21b again. He says this. O Lord, my God. O Lord, my God, that is Yahweh. There it is again. You have all power. You have all authority and hold life and death in your hands. Notice what he's doing by doing that, by recognizing the preeminence of God. He's praying for God's glory. He recognizes God has power to raise this child. He recognizes God has the power to raise the child, but he submitted to God's will. See, here's the thing. Grief, as hard as it is, we tend to lose good theology in it, don't we? Start to believe lies about God. Did God really say, can you really trust him? Can you do this? Elijah keeps his good theology even in the midst and the thick of the grief. And you and I have to as well, loved ones, or that devil's going to come. Did God really say, you're all alone. You've got no hope. Don't go there. Keep your theology solid. The grief is no excuse for bad theology. Even when it's hard, and I've been there, and I'm there right now. 
We have to get to the throne of grace on the truth of God's revealed word. He's basing his prayer off the truth of God's word. And you may say this, you may say this, you may be sitting there, you're like, okay, I see that in Elijah. You don't know my trial. I'm looking out on your faces and oh my goodness, like so many people here struggling. I want to encourage you loved ones. You may look at this, look at Elijah and say, well, that's easy for Elijah. He's like a super prophet. He's like a super prophet. I'm just like, this person, this man, this woman from Ottawa, Ontario. Who am I? I'm not like that. Can I just encourage you with this? Write this down and put it on your heart again and again and again. Elijah was an ordinary man in the hands of an extraordinary God. A nature like ours, James 5 says, an ordinary man who had the same struggles. We're going to get there in chapter 19, you'll see. Same struggles you and I face didn't have the words in this situation. All he could do was cry out to God, same as us. See, this ordinary man knew that God promises to always give grace to the humble. And his prayer was his declaration of dependence on God. That's what prayer is. A declaration of prayerlessness is our declaration of independence. I got this, God. But here, prayer, the declaration of dependence. Notice what he did. He got vertical, and then he got low, and he stayed there. He stayed there. Look at this. Again. And again. And again. He's not puffing his shoulders up, trying his own thing. He goes again, and he does it. And he cries out to God, and he stays low until God answers. It's not like, I'll try once. God didn't raise a kid. It's up to me now. I'm going. In his pride. He didn't do it. He stayed low. Again and again as long as it took. See, Elijah knew what we must know today. As one commentator said, it's so blessed by this. He said, prayer is God's appointed means of grace for our difficulties. Prayer is God's appointed me. Calling on the Lord is God's appointed means of grace for our difficulties. The way we must take through the maze. Here's what we gotta see right from verse 21. You see it on the screen. In God's kingdom, the way up is always down. Say it again. In God's kingdom, the way up is always down. Always get low. And stay there. And you may say this, well, I've been praying for years to be healed of this condition. I've been praying for months for this, for God to do this. I've been praying for that loved one. Why was my prayer, why has my prayer not been answered? Can I, can I just encourage you if that's, if you're in that place, I want to encourage you with this. Let's get some clarity. This doesn't mean that God will always answer in exact accordance to our desires. And in exact accordance to how we expect. That's a prosperity gospel. That's false. It's heinous. It's from hell. Here's what it means, though. As we humble ourselves before the Lord and get low and get vertical, he will answer in accordance with his word. God's word is God's will. That's why we pray God's word, just like Elijah's praying God's word here. He will answer in accordance with his word and give us what we would want if we knew what he knows. And I don't have slides for this. This just came this morning in review, sermon review. 
the prayer of faith, taken right from verse 21. I pray this will be helpful. And write this down. In the unexpected, when that trial hits, here's the prayer of faith right from Elijah. God, you are. Start there. God, you are. God, I know you are the Lord. I know you are Yahweh. I know you are over this. I know you are sovereign. I know you are generous and good and loving. Just God, you are and stay there. And then it's like this. God, you promised in your word to. What does God promise to do? Pray it in proper context. Don't take promises of God and twist them out of context for your own selfish means. Pray it in his con- God, you promise. Maybe it's this. God, you promise to meet the needs of your children. We're waiting for this provision. And the third part, God, you are, God, you've promised. And then here it is right here. Uh, God, I ask for you to do this, to fulfill that. I ask you for this. Would, would you, would you, would you do this? There's nothing wrong with that. Would you heal me, Lord, of this pain that I've been under for years? Would you do that? There's nothing wrong with asking God for that. But then, part four, really important. God, you are. God, you've promised. God, would you? And then, here it is, right here. I know you can. Yet not my will, but yours be done. I trust you. Glorify your name. However you see fit. There's the prayer of faith. Simple. So simple. Look at Elijah's prayer. So simple. We'll see it next week on Mount Carmel, Lord willing. So simple so powerful from a humble heart. When you respond in faith, you will humble yourself before God. Question right now in your situation, will you do that? Will you? Humility is a choice. Will you humble yourself? Are you humbling yourself in dependence on God and crying out to him from the truth of his word? What are you putting your dependence on that isn't him? Because here's the thing as we close out this point. In the life of faith, The posture is always to get low and stay there. Get low and stay there. Don't raise yourself up in pride and in your unbelief, take things on yourself that you're not supposed to do. Get low, that's the posture of faith. James 4, 6, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And when the unexpected hits, which it will, when the unexpected hits, you may say this, well, well, what do I do? And you're asking the question, what do we do now? I didn't see this coming right from the text. Notice what Elijah does. When you're not sure of what to do, here it is, do what you're sure of. I'll say it again. When you're not sure what to do, what's the next step? How do we deal with this? This news, this situation, do what you're sure of. Always go back, loved ones, to what God promises to bless. And what does he promise to bless? Humble, dependent, desperate prayer. Getting low, getting vertical, and calling out to him. Rest in this truth at all times, right here. Know this. When that situation hits and you want to take it on yourself, and you want to do this, look at right on the screen. God's not looking for your performance in that moment. He's looking for your dependence. God is not looking for your performance. You say, well, I've got to do all this. and God is not looking for your performance. He's looking for your dependence. Will you get low and cry out to him, eyes on him? This is radical. 
humbling ourselves in obedience to the word and daily fervent prayer is a declaration of dependence. You and I will not stand firm without it. We won't. We're going to try to hitch our anchor to something that can't support it. See, to stand firm in faith, you must cry out to God alone, turning to him, getting vertical, depending on him, getting low. And lastly, we see this right here in the last three verses. You need to trust in him. You must trust in him. Get believing. Faith is a choice, remember? Choosing to believe God's word, a spirit-empowered choice. Get believing. There is only one God, and only he can save. Will you believe in him? Look at 22 and 24 right here. And the Lord listened. The Lord is attentive to you, loved ones, in your grief, in your situation. He listened to the voice of Elijah, and the life of the child came into him again, and he revived. Awesome. And Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper chamber into the house and delivered him to his mother. And Elijah said, notice this, see your son lives. He lives. And the woman said to Elijah, now I know, mission accomplished. Now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is true. See, in response to Elijah's simple prayer, Not his skills, not his eloquence, not his abilities. God answers. And and Elijah brings (laughs) the son back to his mother alive. See, your son lives, mother. He's here. I wonder what she was thinking when she heard him coming down the stairs again, huh? She's like, "Was was that two sets of footprints? No, that couldn't be. You ever don't want to get your hope up because just in case you're disappointed again? He said, is that two sets? No. See, your son lives. And for the first time in the Bible up to this point, we see (laughs) conquering death. Death conquered. By bringing a person back from death to life. And this is so important because Baal followers, the god Baal, right? Head of a bull, body of a man. Baal followers believe Baal could revive the dead. See, God doesn't do random. They believe Baal could revive the dead. That's why he's the god of fertility. He brings forth things. He's the god of of riches. There's crops. There's abundance. He can revive the dead. And yet what this shows clearly right here, she was worshiping Baal. Where was Baal? Bill's powerless. He doesn't exist. It shows clearly that it was the Lord, the one true God, Yahweh, who raised this child from death to life. And recall, there was a time now to explain the dry season, right? There was a time each year in Israel when there's no rain. And followers of Baal would explain this away by thinking that Baal submitted to the God of death, Mot in those months, and then he would be revived later. But here we see this. Yahweh doesn't submit to Mott. Does he? Even on Mott's home turf in Zarephath. Yahweh doesn't submit to Baal. He doesn't submit to Mott. Nothing can stop him or thwart his purposes. And the result, verse 24, this woman makes the confession that God was using all of these circumstances to bring out of her. She makes the confession of true faith that the Lord is God and his word is the truth. She says, now I know. 
I see the proof. Now I know. Now I believe. The Hebrew word for know there, circle it. It is yada. Yada. And it means not head knowledge. Like, yeah, I know you got a God and he's a little bit powerful. Uh Uh-uh. It's not head knowledge, but it means to have an intimate relationship with the Lord, the one who puts full faith and trust in him for salvation. Woman gets saved. God had such a bigger plan for that sickness than just raising her son. He raised her from death to life too. Everyone say this, God always has a bigger plan. He raised her son physically from death to life. He raised her spiritually, death to life. Boom, who is like our God? Right on the devil's home turf. Whatever. And look at the proof of this. How do you know she's saved? How do you know about this? Verse 12. Go back to verse 12. 1 Kings 17, verse 12. Notice what she said when she met Elijah. And she said, as the Lord your God lives. That's your God. That's not mine, Elijah. Now look 12 verses later. What does she say? Now I know the word of the Lord. See that? There's no more polytheism going on here. It's full-on Yahweh worship. The word of the Lord is in your mouth. She believes. And notice this. Here's the key. Although God's ways were unexpected, although the sorrow and trial and hardship were given as the means, God had a greater plan than could have been imagined, as he always does. We think, Lord, I just need the house sold. Lord, I just need to get healed. Lord, I just need the provision. God's like, I got such a bigger plan than what you think you need. I'm working. Get vertical. Get low. Get believing. I am with you. I'm attentive. I'm listening. I'm watching, and I'm working. I'm working. I love you. And as he always does, he showed himself faithful to his people as they responded in faith to him. Notice this on the screen. It was through the death of the son that God brought true life. It was from the death of the son that God brought true life. Out of the ashes came light. And when all we can see is the darkness, God sees the light. When all we can see is this tomb or or, or cross, God sees the empty tomb. And here we see it again, loved ones. And you may not understand. I may not understand. And it may be so hard as it is. But hey, 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 eyes up here. Eyes up here. Whatever you're in right now. On the authority of God's word right here. Look at, look at, look at. Love seeing your eyes, kids. Love it. You stand firm. Whatever it is, you stand firm. Let the tears flow, but you stand firm and turn your face to the King of Kings and humble yourself before him because he's at work for his glory and your good. And he loves you. And if you're saved in Jesus Christ, you are his child. And he's a good, good father. Even in the grief. There is only one God and only he can save. Will you believe in him? That's what God's trying to show this woman right here and her son. Loved ones, it's time to get believing, taking God at his word. And and you know what's really incredible? This may have been the first instance of only an only son being raised to life, right? First instance, only son being raised to life, but it wasn't the last, was it? Was it? It points to another death and resurrection 
that brought salvation not only for one household, but for all who believe and become the household of God. Amen? Come on. And this widow, she lost her only son. God the Father gave his only son. She lost her son. God gave his only son, Jesus Christ, by sending him to earth as fully God and fully man. And this widow, look at Jesus. Every text leads to Jesus, loved ones. Everyone. And this widow, her son was raised to life off his bed after Elijah laid on him three times. Jesus, the Son of God, after living a perfectly sinless life, went to the cross to pay the penalty for our sin. He died and was buried in a tomb for three days and then rose again off that floor, defeating the power of sin and death that separates us from God and paid the penalty for our sin, which ultimately is death and separation from God in hell for all who don't believe. And just like he offered to this widow life, and she repents, now I know your word is true. Hear the word of the Lord. He offers forgiveness of sin and eternal life now for all who repent of their sin and confess him as Lord. Acts 4.12 says, you'll see it on the screen, and there is salvation in no one else. Your bales will not deliver. For there is no other name under heaven, given among men, by which we must be saved. And if you're here and you've never confessed Christ as your personal Savior, that, that is your first step. Just the Lord, I'm turning from the dead idols of this world. I'm turning to you. Now I know I believe. Confessing him as your Lord and Savior, repenting of your sin submitting to him. And brothers and sisters, if you've made that decision, I want you to be encouraged with this as I was this week. Jesus has gone before us, amen, in this life, and he lived a perfect life of faith in turning to God, depending on God, and trusting in God. And he stood firm in faith against all odds. And now, loved ones, he is ready to give us all we need to stand firm in our faith and live like him. Loved one, call out to him, okay? Call out to him. And it's only right now, as the worship team comes up, and it's going to be tempting to like move around and shift. Just be still. Just be still. Kids, just be still. It's only fitting right now 